Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Snapshots, glimpses of what happened uh, that gives us clues to what kind of church, what kind of church that the book of Acts church was or the first century church was. You know, these are what I would call Kodak moments of the church. You know, when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the hall of faith. You're looking at snapshots of these people. Now, there was a lot of other acts of faith. If I was writing that, when it came down to Jacob, and it talked about him leaning on his staff and worshiping the Lord, I could think of a lot of acts of faith that that man was a part of that I would have probably written upon and thought more important. But when the writer was writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, this is what he included. And so we don't have all of what happened in the book of Acts, but we do have some good things here that gives us some clues. In 2012, uh, Kodak went bankrupt, talking about Kodak moments. It had dominated the, the film industry, photography industry, for the better part of 100 years. 89% of film that was purchased for cameras went through Kodak, if you can believe that. 89%. And they just seemed formidable. They seemed like they'd never go away. In 1975, there was a man by the name of Steve Sasson that worked for Kodak, and he came and presented to them an idea he had about a digital camera. And they rejected the idea, said it's nifty, but it'll never work because they were fixated on this film and this these pictures by film. And they thought, we've got, we've got the curve on this, and... And we don't want to mess anything up. we got it going for ourselves. We've got momentum, and it's never going to stop. And they didn't realize it wasn't the film. It wasn't, it wasn't that. It was the image that people were wanting to save. It was the image. It was, it was something they could save that reminded them. It was the memory that they were trying to save. Even though Kodak was a part of our vocabulary and has been a part of our vocabulary, as I said tonight, a Kodak moment, we, we use that as a phrase. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, they're not existent today because uh, they didn't realize what was most important. I want to realize what is most important. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Being seen of them forty days and speaking of these things pertaining the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. 
when they had therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again, again the kingdom of Israel, or to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And I just want to preach from this thought for the next few moments, and I promise not to hold you long, but I want to preach from this thought. You don't look like your picture. Now, you've probably heard that phrase before, but I would like to use it tonight. You don't look like your picture. Why don't you lift up your hands with me, and let's pray again that the Lord would help us, anoint us, bless us in this service. Jesus, we need you. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost. We need the power of your Spirit. We need the unction that only you can give. And I'm praying, God, that you would bless, move, and work in this service. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, let's give thanks to the Lord. Let's give praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. You know, through the years, I've had the privilege, I guess, of preaching a, a few events, and when you are invited, they, they ask if you have a picture, a profile picture that they could put on a flyer, and uh, of course, uh, several years back, uh, made the first one, and there wasn't a whole lot of demand for it, but somehow it got out. And, uh, you know, it, it was just a step above my graduation photo. And uh, you'd, they'd make the flyer up, and you'd see it, and I'd look at it and kind of laugh within. And I'd get there, and nobody would recognize me. And uh, maybe someone would come up and make the comment to me. said, you know, I, you look familiar, but you know I... When they said who you were, your name, or introduced you, you, you didn't look like your picture. And uh, maybe you've had that occasion where somebody has said something similar. Maybe they saw a photo of you, and, and maybe when they met you in person, they did not recognize you, didn't recognize you at all. And uh, they, they made that statement, you don't look like your picture. The book of Acts gives us a picture of the first century church or uh, the very beginnings of the church. However, I'm afraid that the 21st century church through the years has changed until in a lot of ways and in a many instances it doesn't look like the first century church. In other words, it's unrecognizable. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, it says, These are they that turn the world upside down. In other words, this was a very powerful church. This is a church that was filled with passion. Uh, this is a church that, that was making a difference in its world. This was a church that was making a real impact. 
it was a church that could not be ignored. No matter how, uh, how much the religious people of the day tried to put it in a corner, uh, no matter how much they tried to relegate it as some fringe uh, sect or religion, they could not do that because uh, this was a church that was established, we know, by the Spirit of God and the power of God. And they were making a real difference in the world that they were a part of. And when you look into the book of Acts, a, a picture develops, a picture emerges. And there are certain features about the church in the book of Acts. And some we, we celebrate and we're thankful and we look at those things and, they say, and we say that's what we want. That's, that's the pattern. That's what we're looking. That's our example. That's what we want to be. I, I, I pray that that's the desire of every apostolic saint of God. As I, I want to be everything that the book of Acts church was and more. I, I want to see everything that they saw because we know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever they were able to experience, I certainly want to experience it. Whatever God worked in their life, I, I certainly want to see it working in the church today. I think in terms of the gifts of the Spirit, I think in terms of the operation of the Holy Ghost, I think in terms of, of the conversions and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and revival as we term it today, when I think about all of those things, those things are what I want. Those are the attributes that we are all striving for in the church today. Though there are thousands of years that separate us and, and there's a lot of time that has lapsed between us and these words that we read about and stories that we are given in the book of Acts, we, we do understand that this is still what is going to impact the world. You know, we think that this world that we're living in today is a whole lot different than the world that they lived in, and I understand that in some ways it is. But the spiritual activity that took place in those days is much like the spiritual activity that has taken place in the world today. I admit that it's possibly intensified, but there is a lot of similarities uh, from the things that they confronted, the things that were obstacles to them, things that they faced in that day and that time. Well, you can find a lot of parallels with the times that we're living in today. So I just want to tell you that if God helped them as a church, if God blessed them as a people, God answered their prayers. God worked through them. God anointed them. And they were able to see revival in places like Ephesus. If they were able to see revival in places like Corinth. If they were able to see revival throughout the Asian minor. And they were able to see revival in cities that were steeped with tradition and even pagantry. I believe that God is able to give us revival right here in 21st century America. I believe that God is well able. He's looking for a people that is sensitive. He's looking for a people that is open to it. He's looking for a people that is willing to be used of God. He's looking for a people that is willing to be anointed by God. Because we understand it's not by might. It's not by human strength. It's not by power. But it's by His Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. 
It's the Spirit of God that is needed. And sensitivity to the Spirit of God. I believe the Spirit is always willing to move. And I believe that it can suddenly move upon a city and a congregation. And God can cause a revival to take place. But it demands that we be sensitive to it. And that we be willing to flow with it. And we not put God within a construct that, that binds Him. And we stay open to the flow and the current of God's Spirit because it doesn't always take place like we think it ought to. But can I tell you that God wants to move and I believe that He wants to move in this hour. So there's some features and I, I, I can't go into them all. I can't touch upon them all and I wanna, I won't, I'm not going to be able to thoroughly exhaust the ones that I am going to deal with here tonight. But there are some characteristics that emerge here that I see that the church, you know, they were defined by these things. These were things that they were known for. These were the things that they had a reputation for. First of all, we can see right from the beginning that this was a doctrinally driven church. Amen. You believe that? Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They understood what Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, what Paul wrote there. They understood this concept that the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, they understood that this is what the church, if it's going to be strong, if it's going to stay and weather the storms, if it's going to be here for centuries to come, it's got to be built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You can't deviate from the doctrine and have a church. and You can't deviate from the doctrine and be apostolic. You can't deviate from this Acts 2.38 message and expect to see real apostolic revival. Amen. We see that this new birth message that Simon Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, the inaugural message, if you will, of the church in Acts chapter 2, as he stood up on the day of Pentecost and began to preach to them, and they were convicted or pricked in their heart, the scripture says, and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? There was absolutely no hesitation. He had already had the keys handed to him. He already knew what the message was supposed to be. He didn't have to debate. He didn't have to ask one of the other apostles. Uh, he didn't have to take a vote on it. It was, it was just second nature to him, if you will. He stood up and began to preach. And the Bible said, and Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children and all does that message still incite you does that message still thrill you that's the apostolic message that's what will change a person's life that's what it takes to be born again hallelujah and they were emphatic about this Jesus name message in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12 it's reinstated over and over again throughout the book of Acts but right here we see it we see it, neither is there salvation in the other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. These were Jesus' name people. They were not ashamed of the name. 
Matter of fact, when the man was healed in Acts chapter 3 and there were those that grabbed hold of them and tried to make superstars out of them, they said, it's not us, but it's, it's, it's by his name and faith in his name that has made this man whole. I'm going to tell you, there's still power in the name of Jesus Christ. There's still power in this revelation of who Jesus is. That everything God is, is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And when you call on the name of Jesus, you're calling on all the power of heaven. When you call on the name of Jesus, you're calling on all the attributes of God. When you call on the name of Jesus, there's authority that has been given in that name. That's why when we baptize in the name of Jesus, sins are remitted. That's when we baptize in the name of Jesus, sin is abated at that moment. It doesn't matter how bound you were. It doesn't matter how restricted you were in sin. When Jesus' name is invoked upon you and you're baptized in that name, there's an authority that comes in that name. They were believers in this. They were believers in this, in the essentiality of these things. They didn't deviate from it. They stayed true. They were steadfast, the Bible says, in the apostles' doctrine. And so when they came upon some people in, the apostle came upon the people there in Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul asked them the question. He said, these were John's disciples. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost? Since you believed. They said, we, we haven't even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, we could talk about these fellows and how, how could you possibly be living in that time period and call yourself religious and not know about the Holy Ghost. They were truly, they, they, they were truly some sticks in the mud. I'm, I'm talking about they were out of it to not know about the Holy Ghost. But be that as it may. He begins to tell them. He first asked, he said, to what, how was you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. He said, well, that was good for the period that you lived in and in the time frame as John's disciples before Jesus Christ came and began to preach the message of truth and, and, and now the church has been established. That, that was good for that time frame, but he baptized under repentance but even he said there's one that comes after him that is mightier than he, whose shoes he's not worthy to bear, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And the Bible says that they were so emphatic about this Jesus name baptism stuff that they rebaptized those fellows in the name of Jesus. And they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you, that's, that's what it takes to be converted. And I, I, I want to tell you, uh, some people think that doctrine doesn't matter. They discount doctrine. They say that, that, that people, I was, I was at, at a barbershop the other day and, and, and somebody was, was working with me there and, and they said, you know, if, if some of these churches would just stay off of this doctrine stuff, preacher. If they just stay off this, I said, well, you don't have a church if you don't have doctrine. Amen. If you're not willing to stand up for something and say what you believe and what we believe is right here in this book that I'm preaching out of tonight. 
And it's worth fighting for. It's worth standing for. Amen. If you want real change, I'm going to tell you why some people can't seem to change and there's not a real difference that takes place is because they've not been obedient to the doctrine of Jesus Christ. If you preach anything other than Jesus' name baptism, you don't look like the picture I see in the book of Acts. If you're anything but a one God individual, you don't look like the picture I see in the book of Acts. Amen. If you're anything but a worshiper of Jesus Christ, Christ, amen. You're not what I see in the book of Acts. Come on, clap your hands and let's give praise to the Lord. Turn around somebody and say, if you don't believe this, you don't look like your picture. Not only was it a doctrinally driven church, but it was an enthusiastically evangelistic church. I mean, you read about, I mean, in church history, you read about people like the Apostle Paul that was so passionate that he would convert the guards that were placed upon his cell where he was imprisoned. I was told when I was over in the Holy Land that in those cells there would be places and some of them were water water would, would seep in to, to some of those areas and the apostles would baptize their converts in those cells in the puddles of water that were there. And so on. Because they were so passionate. In, in Acts chapter 10, Simon Peter is praying on the rooftop and God directs him to go to, to a man's house uh, the Lord is, the prayers of Cornelius has come up as a memorial to him and he sends servants to Simon Peter. Simon Peter is being dealt with by the Spirit at the same time to yield to the call to go and to preach to Cornelius and his household. And when he goes and preaches to him, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost fell on them. And how they knew it is they began to speak with tongues. I'm going to tell you, when you get the Holy Ghost, you'll speak with other tongues. That is the sign of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to, I want to clarify something. We don't seek tongues. We seek the Spirit of God. But when you get the Spirit of God, the sign will be He'll take this most unruly member of your body and you'll speak in a heavenly language. You'll speak in tongues as His Spirit gives you utterance. Nobody has to teach you. You don't have to take class to learn how to do it. Amen. God will give it to you. God will pour it out upon you. As you yield to the Holy Ghost, it happens. And, and you know, a lot of people, they try to say, well, I've never spoken tongues, but I got the Holy Ghost. I never had that real experience. I don't know that I ever spoke in tongues, but I do believe I have the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you, it's not falling out. It's not getting in a trance. It's not having a warm feeling. You may have all of those things happen to you. I've seen people got the Holy Ghost that fell out and, 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 and God filled them with the Holy Ghost flat on their back. I've seen people that were shouting while they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I've seen people that hardly moved a muscle. But, but God filled them with the Holy Ghost. And God fills people with the Holy Ghost in an altar. He can fill people with the Holy Ghost at home beside their bed while they're praying. Wherever you get hungry for God, wherever you repent of your sins and you yield your heart to Him and have faith in Him, you can receive the wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost. 
But can I tell you that the Holy Ghost is an essential ingredient to your salvation. Amen. And I just, I just feel like nailing this down. I just feel like this has to be talked about. And I know for some of us, it becomes ho-hum. For some of us, unfortunately, it becomes, I've heard that before. Tell me something new. Give me some, some you know, try, try to pull another rabbit out of the hat, preacher. I'm going to tell you, I'm sick of that attitude. We need people that are still excited about what changed them in the very beginning. Come on, it, it isn't some deep revelation out of the book of Revelation that is going to change your life. I'll tell you what's going to change your life is by being submitted to this word in the book of Acts chapter number 2, being obedient to verse 38. That's what's going to change your life. I'm not interested in just giving people mind candy week after week. I want to see people's lives change. And I want the church to be here as long as the church is still in the earth. I want it to be strong. And I want it to look like the picture I see in the book of Acts. So there was some event. And he said, the Holy Ghost has been poured out upon them. He said, they can't for, can any one of you, you, you Jewish men, can you forbid them water that they be baptized as well as we? Because they've got the Holy Ghost just like we did. And, and they took them and they baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm telling you, these people were reaching out everywhere that they, they, they went, everyone that they come in contact with. They were evangelizing their world. They were telling people they were on fire with it. I'm going to tell you, that's what we need in this hour. This is probably the area that we have deviated more than any other area is that we're not nearly as evangelistic as we need to be. We need to be consumed with this. Everybody that you come in contact with, they need to feel something's different about that person. They, they really do love God. They really are what they say they are. They're really doing what they say they do. They live the life. They have a testimony. And I want what they've got. I want the peace they have and the joy they have. Come on, that's the key right there. Do they feel peace when they're around you? Or they just feel, oh, tension is in the air. Do they feel joy when they're around you? Amen. Some of us need to learn how to turn that, turn that bottom lip upward instead of downward all the time. I read somewhere that's by smiling. You burn so many calories just by smiling. It ain't much, but I'll take every one of them I can get. In other words, there's a health benefit in this. Some of you need to train yourself. We need the Holy Ghost that bubbles out of us. We need to get that experience like like David talked about, talked about. He said, my cup runneth over. When I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, you think I can just sit still? You think I can just be mum? You think I can just cross my arms when I come to church? You think I can just sit there like a woman? No, 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 no. I, I gotta shout. I gotta, I gotta give an expression of praise. I gotta be a little bit emotional. Oh, I, I know. Too sophisticated for that. I, I'm too dignified for that. I don't, I'm not an emotional person, Pastor. Yeah. That's what I thought until I touched a hot iron. 
I've seen people that was not emotional, and little Johnny gets out of control. And suddenly they forgot that they weren't emotional. Johnny, get back here. I'm going to wear you out. Like, where's that calm, cool, collected person that said they weren't emotional? What it is is we get excited over things that, that trigger those emotions. I'm going to tell you, nothing should, should bring excitement. Nothing should bring enthusiasm to us like this experience of the Holy Ghost. I'm still excited. I've had the Holy Ghost now for over 40 years. I'm still as excited about it today, maybe more excited about it today because he's brought me through so much. He's done so much for me. I got a testimony that he's kept me. I got a testimony that he's made me an overcomer. I got a testimony that he's been good to me. Come on, anybody. I don't feel like I'm the only one here. I feel like there's some other folks in this place that God's been good. Yeah, there's some old timers here. God's been good to us. I'm going to tell you, if Brother Benteen can get out here and shout and run the aisles a little bit, there ought to be some young men in this place that are excited about serving the Lord. Oh, yeah. If we're not evangelizing our world, we don't look like our picture. We don't look like the book of Acts. Amen. I'm going to just tell you, if we're not a worshiping church, when I read and look at that church in the book of Acts, not just there but in the epistles, I find a church that was enthusiastic and excited. I read in the book of Acts after the man was healed at the gate called Beautiful. What did the Bible say that he did? First time he'd ever been able to enter in beyond that gate. Can you imagine the excitement that he must have felt having been stuck there for all of those years and suddenly he gets to move forward and gets to go to places that he had never been before? And the Bible says that he's leaping. If you see us leaping, if you see us jumping a little bit, you'll know that it's biblical. And it was also displayed right there in that text. But the Bible said to leap for joy. And a lot of folks, they had this idea that I'll worship God when I feel him move on me. Well, that's not scriptural. I believe you ought to worship God when you feel him move on you. But I don't think you ought to wait until you feel him move on you. The Bible said leap for joy, not leap because you got it. Don't leap because you already got your miracle. Don't leap because you already got what you've been praying for. Don't leap because you already experienced it. Go ahead and worship God in faith. Go ahead and praise him in faith. Go ahead and, go ahead and lift your hands and rejoice in faith. Hallelujah. Praise God. A worshiping church. A worshiping church. Bible tells us that, that in Acts chapter 16, there was Paul and Silas, of course, you've heard this inside and out, in jail in the inner prison, and they got to worshiping God so much that the other prisoners heard them clapping, praising the Lord. And the Bible says that as a result of their worshiping God, a miracle took place. The earth began to shake. There was an earthquake, and it flung the doors of the prison open. I guess that's a word, flung. The doors of the prison open, and their chains fell off of them. Now, that's pretty exciting. And it started 
with people not feeling down and not being in the mullet grubs and not giving in to their conditions and their surroundings. Not giving in and saying, oh, we're in a pandemic. Bless God. I, I just don't think I got any praise tonight. I just don't think I can worship. I just don't, I think I'm going to leave the singing up to somebody else because I hadn't had such a good day. I'm going to tell you, if you ever want to get out of that place, if you ever want to change your position spiritually, you're going to have to learn how to praise God in faith. Praise God in faith. There's such a thing as praising God in faith. I don't praise him because I feel. The Bible said to praise him according to his excellent greatness. I don't praise him predicated on my feelings and on my emotions, but I praise him because he's great, because he's been good to me, because his grace is abundant, because his mercy is everlasting. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give a little praise to him right now. If you're not a worshiper, you don't look like the picture I see in the book of Acts. If you're not a praiser, you don't look like the picture I see emerging from the book of Acts. I don't want to be a dead church. I can't help it. I don't want to be a sophisticated dead church. I don't feel like I have to say this, but I'm not against a lot of things that, that uh when it involves bettering yourself and all of those kinds of things. I don't think anybody here strive for it any more than I have to, to do those things. And, but I'm going to tell you, you can't, when it comes to spiritual things, you've got to separate the two, my brother. I said you've got to separate the secular from the spiritual. You can't, you can't put them all in the same bag. And that's where a lot of people get in trouble. I don't ever want to get too smart where I can't shout. I don't ever want to get so sophisticated that I can't praise God. Hello? I don't ever want to get to the place that I think I'm somebody so much. Come on, you're not the only pebble on the beach. Amen. God has been good to you. God has blessed you. And if you don't, there's somebody else that will. He said, if these don't worship me, the rocks are going to cry out. I'm going to tell you, God's always got a replacement for you. Yeah. I said, God's always got a replacement. You know, thinking about that, you know, I've always liked baseball. I don't know. I, I, if I had to choose, I wasn't good at any of it. But if I had to choose, I, you know, football, man, that's too physical for me. I mean, I get down in a creek bed with a mountain lion, but I don't want to go out there and let. Anyway, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? But, uh, you know, I just, it just looks like people get hurt playing football. But that baseball, you know, I mean, you got, you got to use a little strategy and that kind of thing. But you know, baseball, if the pitcher's not doing so hot, the manager goes out, or the coach, he goes out and he has a little talk with him. You know, settle down now. What's going on with you? Let's talk about it. Really, all he's doing is buying time because... When he goes out the second time, he points over at the bullpen. And he said, you fellas start warming up over there. And, and what, what that translates into is you better get your act together or I'm going to take you out. I'm going to replace you, in other, other words. There's somebody already warming up that can take your place. Because the object is we're going to win. 
you got to be doing good. And don't think you're so valuable that I can't take you out of this thing. Can I preach to somebody that God is never in a position that he doesn't have a replacement? I talked about it this morning. He told Esther, he said, God is going to bring deliverance from somewhere. And if it's not you, it can bring it from a different source. After Adam goes, Abel comes on the scene. After that, after Abel goes, Abraham comes on the scene. After Abraham goes, Isaac. After Isaac goes, Jacob. After Jacob goes, Joseph. After Joseph goes, Moses. After Moses, Joshua. After Mo- or Joshua goes, Samuel. After Samuel goes, David. After David goes, Solomon. Anybody getting the idea? After Isaiah goes, Jeremiah. And after Jeremiah comes Ezekiel. And after Daniel goes, uh, uh, Hosea comes on the scene. After Hosea, Micah and after Micah Nahum and after Nahum Malachi and after Malachi John the Baptist and after John the Baptist uh, Jesus Christ and after Jesus Christ Simon Peter and after Simon Peter amen there's the apostle Paul and then it gets down to you and I amen so don't think that God doesn't have if there's going to be a church in this world there's always going to be somebody that's standing for this truth there's always going to be somebody that's preaching this gospel as long as there's a church in the world. Amen. Let's lift up our hands and give some praise to the Lord. I can see already I'm going to have to finish this up later. But one of the things I'd like to finish with tonight is that that church in the book of Acts was a church that was familiar with and had miracles, and we can't talk about them all. But maybe there's some that you've passed over I'd like to bring your attention to. In Acts chapter number 9, there's a man by the name of Aeneas. Aeneas had been down for eight years. Evidently, he was a man of renown in that village or town that he lived in, and everybody knew of his condition I don't know what caused him. We don't have the details of what caused him to be down. And there's a lot of things that can knock a person down. There's a lot of things that can cause a person to be down. But Aeneas was bedfast, basically, for eight years. And the Bible says that Simon Peter comes along. And the scripture tells us that he prays for this man. And he is raised up and his health restored. And as a result, that whole village is impacted by it. And revival breaks loose. I'm going to tell you, one miracle can change the dynamics of a church. One miracle taking place. One person's prayer being answered. One miracle transpiring in a, in a church can shake a city. I'm not a sign seeker and a sign chaser. And I don't, I don't drive all over the country chasing all of that. I'm just telling you that it's in the Bible that, that we need some miracles and we need the supernatural working and I'm not ashamed to tell you we're not seeing enough of it and I believe that God wants to give it to us and we need to see it and if we saw, saw more of it you wouldn't, have to, you wouldn't have to spend a lot of time trying to persuade people to come to church if you let one too many miracles come into this place, amen, they'll be lying 
lining up because they know this is a place that's got power. This is a place where prayers are answered. This is a place where miracles happen. This is a place where the sick are healed. The same thing as a result of that. He moves over and, he, and he's asked to pray for a lady that was very important to these people. Uh, her name was Tabitha uh, or Dorcas as it is in, in the book of Acts. And uh, they showed him some things that she had made and given to the church. And, and what a blessing she was and how she worked so hard. But now she has died. She has perished. And, and uh, her lifeless body is there. And they call Simon. I'm being very quick. They call him to come and pray and it looks like all hope is gone there's no there's no hope of anything happening uh, but but he steps into that room and he takes her by the hand and he raises her up and he says these words Tabitha arise no fanfare just power no fanfare just anointing he he lifts her up I'm going to tell you if God could do it in the book of Acts he could do it for you and I he could still raise the dead Come on, I want to say it again. He could still raise the dead. Then we see in Acts chapter 28, this big storm. I mean, you talk about a storm. Now, we've been through a storm here ourselves. There's this big storm that happens. Apostle Paul is floating on pieces of a ship over to an island that was called Melita, and there's barbarians there. I mean, if you can't get any worse of a scenario than this. A storm, broken up ship, waterlogged, float up to an island, think, man, finally, whew, this ordeal is, is coming to an end. And all of a sudden you look up and you see these people that look real weird. And they look like, well, they look like barbarians. <laughs> Ta-da. And uh, they look, and he says, oh, my God. You know, of all the places that we could float up on, look here. We floated up on an, an island of barbarians. And, and so they built a fire for him, though. And, 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 and so the apostle Paul, he's taking some, maybe they're going to be all right, and taking some sticks over to the fire. And all of a sudden, a viper comes out of the heat. Venomous beast, the Bible calls it, comes out of the heat, fastens on his hand. They said, oh boy. These pagan people said, this guy right here, he's done something real bad. I mean, this guy, look, the ship he's on gets in a storm that lasts several days. A storm that is so unbelievable that they can't even see to navigate the stars or the moon or anything. And, and their ship is totally run aground and broken up. They come floating up here. It's just like this guy is inevitably going to die. Look at him. He gets bit by a snake. He's the one out of everybody else that gets bitten by the snake. And they are astonished when the Apostle Paul shakes it off and goes on about his business and felt no harm. And after they had looked for a great while, they said he should have fallen down dead. This should have been over with minutes ago. This should have, I mean, after this happened, he should have, he should have died just as soon as that poison got, got into his system. He, 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 he should have perished. And they're amazed at the miracle that has taken place. I'm going to tell you, people in this hour, 
I don't know what the future holds, but I know we're going to need God to protect us as a church. I do understand one thing. We're going to need God to keep us as a church. And I believe that's going to be one of the witnesses of the true church in the last days. If, if the Lord continues to tarry his coming, I believe that that's going to be one of the things that this world's going to be able to look and say, you know, there's something peculiar about them. God is protecting them. God is with them. When everybody else is going down, they continue to be blessed. When everybody else is worried, they continue to have joy. When everybody else is losing their mind, they still have their sanity. They still have peace. Oh, come on. We got to keep on shaking off the vipers of this world and keep the heat up in the church so that we can continue to see the miracles that God wants to give us. Stand to your feet right now. But you know, really the greatest miracle, in my opinion, in the book of Acts is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Because of that one conversion, thousands upon thousands, and even to this day, people are being converted. Through the writings of the Apostle Paul, we see many things in the Word of God. Because of this one conversion, we're taught many things that we would have never otherwise received. Oh, God would have directed someone, but it was the the will of God that it happened through the Apostle Paul who was Saul who was very destructive and very passionately against the church and he did everything he could to obstruct the will of God and the Lord got his attention and you know the story and the conversion that took place I want to tell you the greatest miracle that can happen in anybody's life I'm thankful for every healing I'm thankful for every physical miracle that we see, every supernatural thing that takes place. I'm grateful for all of that, and I think we need more of it. But it's all for one end, and that is that souls would be turned to the Lord. Isn't that what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2 when that man was let down through the roof? He said, so that you may know that I have power to forgive sin. He said, rise, take up your bed and walk. I can perform a miracle just like that. But the greater miracle is that this man's soul be saved, his sins be forgiven. That's the greatest miracle that could take place in a person's life. And if there's anything I want to see in this new year, I want to see a whole lot more conversions around here. A lot more people filled with the Holy Ghost around here. I want to see people on fire for God and seeing people reach out and evangelize this world because the picture that is given to us in the book of Acts, I want to see it continue on. Would you lift up your hands with me right now and let's pray that the Holy Ghost have its way in this place. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost right here in this house right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I praise you, oh God.
I just wonder if there's somebody who wants to be used. I wonder if there's somebody who wants a fresh anointing. I just wonder if there's somebody in this place that says, God, count me in. I wonder if there's someone here tonight that says, I want to be a part of it. I don't want it to be something I talk about and refer to in the book of Acts, but I want to be a part of it in the 21st century. I want it to be a part of my life in 2021. I want to see it. I want to be it. I want to live it and flesh it out in this world. Come on, step out where you are. Make your way to this altar. Say, God, use me.